we're finishing up our finishing up the offering. <clears throat> I uh, <clears throat> I want to share with you that last week uh, Matt introduced two of our interns uh, that will be involved with our youth ministry, and we have another intern who is here this Sunday who will be involved with Brian in our preaching ministry, and. Uh, I have a, a real fondness for this, uh, this intern because it's my grandson, Nathan. So Nathan, uh, last week they had to wave and, and all that kind of stuff, so if you'll do that. Uh, the, uh, the interesting thing was Nathan arrived at our house. He's staying with us, and uh, uh, we uh, got ready for bed, went to bed, and then we got to have some real great bonding time. As, uh, as, as Nathan got to spend quality time with his grandparents in the bathroom, because that's the central room in our house as this tornado sirens were going off. And uh, so he's, a, he's an old pro. He's from Joplin. But uh, he was texting his mom and dad, you know, like, okay, I, this is the way my internship is starting out. Uh, but, we're, uh, but we're really glad that you're here and uh, looking forward to how God's going to use uh, this summer in your life and your life in our lives. And uh, that is true uh, for Samuel and for Alexia uh, as well. So we're glad that you guys are here. Uh, last week we were in, in Proverbs and I made a mention as at the start of the sermon I talked about that I, that I hope that people are reading a proverb a day. And I said last Sunday, I said this is the 19th and so this morning I read Proverbs 19 and there is a verse in there that even reminded me about my wife. And in Proverbs 19.14, uh, it says that a wife is a, is a gift from the Lord, is from the Lord. Uh, I didn't identify the verse. I finished preaching, went to the back. Jerry Ferguson leans over and said, hey, was that the verse that says your wife is like a nagging or dripping, a constant dripping? And... Uh, you know, I, I'm just glad I could help Jerry Ferguson read his Bible for once in his life. And Jerry Ferguson is in trouble with my wife. Um, but I do hope that you are reading Proverbs on a regular basis. And, and I, I know that many of you are. I see postings on Facebook. I see someone put up a verse, and I go, that was in today's reading. And, and that's the way we share the book of Proverbs. And, and I hope that that our breakthrough series is, is one that is helping you get more in tune with the book of Proverbs, uh, making that as a, as a discipline uh, in your life. And I, I know that as you read God's word uh, and, and take that in, that God will use that in your heart and in your life. And so I just really want to encourage you to continue to do that. And our series talks about get, seeking God's wisdom when you're stuck. And today we're going to be talking about being stuck in skepticism. And, and we're in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. That's today's text. Uh, on, uh, on Friday, on Thursday afternoon, Thursday afternoon, I had to have some oral surgery done. Uh, and uh, I was in the chair and uh, they put the mask on. They'd started the IV and... And the dentist said, uh, I have to give him props for being real creative. He turned to the staff and he said, Dave's going to be preaching this Sunday. And I'm thinking, why are you telling your staff that? And then he said, Dave, what are you going to be preaching about? And I, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, refresh my memory what that says. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and, or in all your ways, submit to him and he will direct your paths. And that was the last thing I remember. <laughs> it was much more creative than saying, Dave, count from 100 backwards. I, you know, but I do remember as I started doing that, that one nurse turned around and looked at me like, are you serious? But I hope that as we look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 today, uh, and we're talking about being stuck in skepticism, that you'll remember how that God does address issues in our lives that his word is tuned for to help us be able to deal with those circumstances. Um, And so if you have your Bibles... Uh, Open to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. That'll be our text. If you have your uh, sermon page out, you may want to have that to take notes. I would encourage you to do that. And uh, uh, one of the things that we're talking about in in this section, first of all, and you see that in your notes, is trust in the Lord. Uh, The Hebrew word there for trust means to place your full trust confidence in the Lord, regardless of your circumstances. Uh, it, is, it is a, we're not talking about the trust that I have placed my trust in Christ for salvation, but we're talking about committing your whole life to him, trust in the Lord in all the circumstances. Uh, many of you remember Renee Belford. Uh, Renee texted my wife, and Renee now lives down in Bixby, and she said, our neighborhood is flooding, and it's hour by hour. Please keep us in your prayers. Uh, we have friends that live in Fort Gibson, uh, and if you've heard on the news, Fort Gibson is flooding, and they're, they're kind of stuck. Uh, we, uh, uh, here's, here's a significant note. We are releasing more water from Keystone Dam than is going over the falls of Niagara Falls. Uh, it's not nearly as pretty, and uh, there's no maid in the mist that's down there below, but uh, we're in a situation where to trust in the Lord, uh, you really get to put, uh, put your feet on the ground and say, God, I really do trust you. I trust you in every circumstance in my life. I trust you because this is what we are called to do. And it is our trust that helps us be able to resist the cynicism. Uh, Jesus, uh, or the next part, of the next part of that verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And that's important also. We're not just talking about some kind of religious ex- exercise. Yes, I, I have trusted in Christ. But it is, I trust God with all my heart, with all of my life. Jesus in Mark chapter 12, we find Jesus saying, "Love the." he was asked the question, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus answered this way, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. That is, that is the totality of with all your heart. And so we find that expression, trust in the Lord with all your heart. One of my favorite Old Testament characters was Caleb. And, and, and remember that Caleb was one of the 12 
that went out to spy in the land. God, they had come to, they'd come to the border of the promised land. And God had Moses send out 12 spies to go out into the land and survey the land. And Joshua and Caleb and 10 other guys. And isn't it interesting? We remember the names of Joshua and Caleb, but we don't remember the names of the 10 other guys. Why? Because the 10 other guys came back scared. The 10 other guys came back and said, it's a great place to visit, but we'll never be able to live there. Because the people there make us look like grasshoppers and all of those kind of things. But Caleb and Joshua said, no, if God is sending us, we, we should go. And in Numbers chapter 14, verse 24, God has now brought the children of Israel through that time. And he has said, all of those people, 40 years of age and older, who were in the wilderness, will not go into the promised land with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. And in Numbers chapter 14, God says, But because my servant Caleb had a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. You see, that is the beauty of our trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord helps us offset skepticism. Let me give you an example of skepticism. You're watching late night TV and the ad comes on and says, Dr. Love's potion number nine can help you lose 26 pounds in 26 minutes. Would you be skeptical? Oh gee, honey, I'm going to dial right now. Yes. No, we would be, why would we be skeptical? Because that does not seem possible. Are there times when you're called to trust God and you become a little skeptical because you say that does not seem possible? I want you to understand what we, what we see here that we can avoid, we can deal with, we can confront, we can defeat skepticism through trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and say, God, I really do trust you. It may not even make sense, but God, if this is what you're calling me to do, this is what I'm going to do, I trust you. I will obey you. I will follow you. But I also want you to notice the contrast that comes immediately upon the heels of that. At the end of verse 5, and lean not on your own understanding. And we're going to spend quite a bit of time talking about what it means to lean on your own understanding. But I just want to remind you of this. You probably recognize it. We're increasingly surrounded by people who prefer their own understandings, who prefer their own interpretations, who prefer the way they see things. We're surrounded by them. And there is even an increasing hostility toward anyone who would uphold a biblical worldview. There is an increasing hostility toward anyone who says, I live my life trusting in the Lord with all my heart, and I'm not going to lean on my own understandings. Let me show you a prime example of what not to do when it comes to leaning on your own understanding. I want you to, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis Chapter 3, I'm going to be reading from there. But I want you to notice, and I've got it up on the screen, I want you to notice how Satan 
caused Eve to lean on her own understanding. And notice what he did. He questioned the goodness of God. He offered a different narrative. And he promised a better future. And folks, that is what is usually given to us by the world around us that would cause us to be skeptical of trust in God. So let's take a look at, at what that looked like in Eve's case. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? What does that tell you about the knowledge of the evil one? He knows what God's word says. Christians who don't know what God's, words, what God's word says are at his disadvantage to dealing with the devil because he knows what it says and he will try to use it against you. That's why it is important for you to trust God with all of your heart and that includes making sure that you're familiar with what God's word says. Did God really say? Have you ever heard anybody raise that question? Do you really believe that the Bible is true? Do you really, do you really believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you really believe that, that somehow he's going to come back to earth someday? You see, the subtlety and not so subtle skepticism in the world around us causes us to make causes us to realize I have to know what the word says and I have to decide do I trust God or do I not will I be obedient to God or will I just wing it on my own understanding and so that was the opening salvo and notice Eve's response the woman said to the serpent we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. Let me show you something else that takes place. Once we begin to have a little bit of skepticism toward God, we begin to add some other things that we think God might have also meant. See, that's what she said in that next verse. God didn't say, Adam, don't touch it. God said, Adam, don't eat from that one. Where did she get the don't touch it? Well, if God doesn't want us to eat it, he doesn't even want us to touch it. And we begin to layer things on God. We begin to say, God told us this. God didn't say that. And in those things that we add on, we begin to resent God for saying those things. And God is saying, that's not what I said. But skepticism makes us build and build and add to things that we want to reject. Notice what Satan said, verse 4. You will not certainly die. Direct confrontation with what God said. God said, Adam, if you eat of that tree, you will die. And Satan says... You will not die. You see, there is a boldness in this that just affronts God. And folks, we need to learn to be affronted by the things that are affronting to God. We need to recognize that when someone is speaking something about God that is not true and is offensive to God, it should be offensive to us. 
The serpent said to the woman, you will certainly not die. For God, and then, then here is the next layer. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Is that true? Yes. Satan knew the outcome. Satan knew that that was true. But notice how he presents it. Here's why God doesn't want you to eat from that. He doesn't care about you. He's trying to limit you. You can't trust God. He doesn't want you to have any fun. God knows that if you eat from that tree, you won't die. You'll actually be wise as God is. And we live in a society that really wants to have this sense of knowledge and this sense of that I understand things. And you encounter people that say, I'm, I'm not really religious, but I'm very spiritual. What in the world does that mean? I'm not very religious, but I am spiritual. And I, in my spirituality, I believe spirituality means this, or I believe spirituality can mean that. And see, I am so spiritual. Satan says, you won't die. But here's why God really doesn't want you to eat that. This is the conspiracy of God. He doesn't want you to eat that because he knows that if you eat that, you'll be just like him. And so he appeals to my ego and says, wow, I can be, I can be just like God. I could become my own God. So why wouldn't I want to eat from that which God has said don't? Verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable to make one wise. She took some of it, ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. That little phrase, her husband who was with her. Do you think God was going, Adam, get in the game, son. Your wife is under attack by Satan. Come on. Notice that Eve said, Yes, God did say we should not eat from that tree. How did Eve know that? Eve wasn't there yet. Adam had conveyed that to her. Adam had told her that. She was, she was created after God had said to Adam, don't eat from that tree. Everything else, enjoy. Don't eat from that one. So Adam had conveyed that to her. And I'm thinking... Surely God must have been looking at Adam like, son, quit doing a fitness post in, you know, impression and get in here. Defend your wife. Speak up. And folks, we need to be able to do that for each other, by the way. When we find ourselves being misunderstood or when we find someone misunderstanding Scripture, feel free, feel called to step into and speak the truth. Satan was appealing to Eve's own understanding. And the craftiness of Satan is still alive and well in our generation, isn't it? He seeks to destroy our trust in God and cause us to accept human reasoning. Society says you can interpret the scripture however you want to, the way that best fits your needs. Accept this, reject that, just make it fit you. After all, you are what's really important. 
But now I want you to see a prime example of what Jesus did with the same basic temptations. And, and again, as, as I read the text, I want you to notice what was going on. Jesus confirmed the goodness of God. Jesus offered an accurate narrative. Jesus promised a reliable future. So let's go to Matthew chapter 4. This was where Jesus was confronted by Satan. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. No, duh. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. I've seen a lot of pictures of the Holy Land, and a lot of those rocks do look like something you could get at Panera. They really do. Nice, round, just, you know, hot desert sun makes them warm. You're hungry, aren't you, Jesus? Don't these rocks look like bread? If you're really the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. What was he doing? He was casting skepticism about who Jesus was. He was challenging the authority of Scripture. And I want you to notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. There should also be some pasta and some salad and some steak. Does your Bible not say that? I guess I just wrote that in the margin. Shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want you to notice, we're going to look at all of these temptations. There were three temptations. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, same question asked before. If you are the Son of God, challenging the authority of God, challenging the identity of God. If you are the Son of God. Then Satan quotes scripture. Not only does he know it as he was demonstrated with Eve. He knows how to use it. He knows to quote it. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and they will lift you up with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Is that in the Bible? Yes, it's in the book of Psalms. He's quoting. Jesus answered, It is also written, uh huh. You know some verses? I know more. It's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Third temptation. And the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you if you'll bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Here here are some keys that are important to dealing with skepticism and doubt that we learn from Jesus. One is the confidence that we have in our own identity. What had taken place just before the temptation occurred? It said Jesus went from there. Where was there? From His baptism. What had happened at his baptism as he came up out of the water? God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved son 
in whom I am well pleased. Folks, when you trust God, when you have been obedient to Him, when you have come up out of that watery grave we call baptism, God in heaven says, that's mine. That's my child. I created him. I created her. Sin separated us. But my son's death on the cross now brings that one back to me because they trust in me. That's your identity now. That's what gives you the ability to confront the skeptic who would say, do you really believe in God? Do you really trust in God? That's one. And the other is the importance of our knowledge and use of Scripture. You notice that each time Jesus was tempted, he referred to Scripture. He quoted from Deuteronomy. We've got a few more choices now, like the whole New Testament. But Jesus quoted Scripture. Now notice verse 6. It begins with, in all your ways. It picks up the thought of trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understandings. In all your ways, submit to Him. Don't just submit to Jesus on Sunday morning and show up at church. In all your ways. In the way you handle your finances. In the way you treat your family. In the way you perform at work. In the way you interact with your neighbor in the way you deal with that person who is so disagreeable, in all your ways. Submit to Him. Notice that the response of submission is not limited just to a few things, but in all your ways. In some translations, it says, in all your ways acknowledge Him. And when I first memorized it, that's the way I learned it, was in all your ways acknowledge Him. Jesus has said, he who acknowledges me before my Father who is in, he who acknowledges me on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. He who does not acknowledge me on earth, I will not acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew gives us that. In all your ways, acknowledge. But it's more than just mere intellectual assent. The word submit carries with it that I am placing myself wholly, totally, completely, At your disposal. Submit yourself to him in all your ways. And you'll notice in the outline there's some verses. Let me just read them very quickly. In Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12, there is a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Chapter 16, commit to the Lord whatever you do and he will establish your plans. He will establish your plans. 1625, there's a way that appears right, but in the end it leads to death. Didn't we just have that? If you've been reading through Proverbs, have you noticed how many times that phrase is used? There's a way that appears right. There's a way that the world says, yeah, that makes sense to me. You should go for it. You should do it. If you like it, do it. There's a way that appears right, but folks, we've got to be very, very careful because some of those things that appear right can lead to death. But when I submit to him in all my ways, I become cognizant of those ways that are not life-affirming. 
that God is not going to be able to bless. Notice verse nine, chapter 19, verse 3. A person's own folly leads, them, leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against God. You see, part of our skepticism that we face is a person is the person who says, yeah, well, this bad thing happened in my life and it's God's fault. Notice what Proverbs says. Proverbs 19, verse 3. A person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their hearts rage against God. My poor choices lead to the consequences I encounter. And it is not God's fault. And maybe you have had to deal with some poor choices in your life. And you've experienced the difficult consequences of those choices. But if you have trusted the Lord with all of your heart. And you're not leaning on your own understanding. And you're submitting in in all your ways. You're submitting to him. You're also finding that he will direct your paths. Even in the midst of suffering some of the consequences of poor choices. That's how good God is. I love how the psalmist says it in Psalm 37. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in Him. He will do this. He will make your righteousness, He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. How beautiful it is that God works in our lives. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him. And He will direct your path. One translation says, a lot of translations use that and say, He will make your path straight. And I prefer this one, and it's just a small thing. I don't know about you, but there's been a lot of times when God has led me, and I have felt like I've been on a real wandering, crooked path. I've asked God, couldn't we straighten this thing out? He will direct my paths, even if I'm taking a winding course to get to where He wants me to be. Sometimes that winding course takes me into places where I really have to learn to trust Him. I really have to trust Him. If I just got a straight shot, I wouldn't have learned what it means to trust God in all things. But He's still directing my path. Maybe you've experienced some of those winding paths in your own life. But you also have understood that God has directed and you. Sometimes it's only when we turn around and we look back and we go, wow, now I see where God has taken me. Now I see what God was doing. I didn't understand it at the time. And folks, understand this. Skepticism can come when we feel like we're never going to get to that point of recognition. We have to be able to say, God, I trust you even if it never makes sense in this life, even if it never makes sense to me, I still trust you. That's what it means to trust in the Lord with all of your heart 
not to lean on your own understandings, but in all your ways to acknowledge him. And in doing that, he will direct your path. So let me ask you, if you're feeling like you're stuck in some skepticism, can you this morning identify why? Why you feel that way? Let me ask it this way. Has there ever been a time in which you feel that God violated your trust? I've had people tell me, well, I used to believe in God, and then God did this, and I don't trust Him anymore. What happened there? I'm not talking about the event. I'm talking about what happened intellectually, what happened internally, what happened in my relationship with God at that point. I went from trusting God to leaning on my own understanding. It is perfectly fine for us to say, God, I don't understand why I had to go through that. I don't understand why this happened. It makes no sense to me. And God is big enough to let you rail and rant. But he also wants you to come to the point where you say, but God, I still trust you. Maybe there's been a time when you felt like God has violated your trust and what you're seeing this morning is maybe at that point you went to try to figure it out on your own and it was no longer trusting God, but trying to figure it out on your own. And how well are you doing with the alls of your life? The all your heart and in the all the ways. Sometimes we, we kind of approach God and we say, God, I'll give you this and I'll give you this and I'll give you this. But God, I'm going to hang on to these. I, 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 don't, I don't trust you to take care of my kids. God, I, 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 don't, I don't trust you to take care of my finances. Uh, God, I'll go to church, but, but Lord, I, I, I don't trust you to, to, to help me be a witness at my office or in my workplace. How are you doing on the alls? Is there something that you know that you're holding back from God right now? I started talking and you started thinking, I wish Dave would shut up. Maybe you thought of that a long time ago. I don't know. But let me ask you this. Do you need to trust Christ for the first time in your life right now? You've been going to church for a long time. But there's never been that moment where you said, God, I want to trust you with all my life, with all my heart. God, I believe that Jesus Christ really is your son, that Jesus Christ really came, lived a sinless life, died on Calvary, was buried in a grave, rose to life three days later, and has promised that he is going to return. God, I trust you in that. I know that you want me to submit my life to you, that you want me to have faith in you, that you want me to repent of my sin, you want me to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You want me to be baptized into Christ for forgiveness of sin so that I can live a new life. God, I want to do that today. Maybe that's where you are. I'm going to pray. 
And then a little bit after our service is over, down here on these front rows, there will be people who will be willing to come and pray with you, study with you, help you take that next step. Maybe there's something you're really struggling with and you want, them, you want to be able to trust God in it, but you're struggling with it. Let them pray with you about that very thing. Father in heaven, I thank you that we can indeed trust you with all of our heart. Father, forgive us when we've tried to lean on our own understandings. Father, help us that in all of our ways we'll submit to you. And Father, as we do, we'll have that sense of your direction in our life. Father, I pray for our young people who are seeking your direction about their futures. I pray for our adults who are seeking your direction, maybe concerning employment, maybe concerning something that's going on in their life and in their family, maybe facing health issues. God, we ask you to direct our paths. Father, I I pray for families that are in so much trauma and tragedy right now. God, I pray that they would be able to trust you and that they will allow you to direct their paths, to show them where to go, what to do. We thank you that you love us so much that you give this promise to us in Christ's name. Amen.